Thanks for flying with us. Jordan here. Just wanted to let everyone know what's happening here at the Star Lords podcast. Star Lords is now on Discord. If you would like to join the Star Lords Cantina Discord server, you can find a link in the description or on any of our social media accounts. Reach out to DM or email. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching the Star Lords Podcast. Go ahead and give our page a like and send us a message. You can also email at starlorespodcast at gmail.com. Send us your fan art, Star Wars collections, or fan fiction, and you may even get a feature on one of our pages or even the show. Don't be afraid to offer corrections or add to any of the topics that we discuss on the show. We are also on Patreon, so if you want to help us pay the bills, as well as get a few awesome perks like bonus episodes, access to the private Facebook group, or the VIP section of the Discord server, head on over to patreon.com forward slash starlores and sign up for as little as one US dollar a month. And finally, make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher app or YouTube, as well as sending us a five-star review on iTunes. This really helps us reach a wider audience. Enjoy the rest of the show. You are listening to the Star Lores Podcast. Falcon. This is Christian. I'm Sam. And we are reviewing uh, Django Fett Open Seasons, a comic book by Dark Horse. Uh, Jordan has uh, retired himself to the cantina for the night. He's playing hollow chess against a Wookiee. Hopefully he doesn't Hopefully cheat and get his arms ripped off. He has we'll his see when, <laughs> when he, he comes back. back. If not, he'll have cool. It's going to be hard to fly the Falcon without your arms, Jordan. <laughs> Maybe if he has a force, he can just like sit there without his arms and yeah, mentally guide the ship. Um, but Django Fett Open Seasons, uh, one of my personal favorite comic books. Um, I'm super excited for this episode because this comic book actually was one of the ones that got me started into Star Wars comics as a whole. And another comic, interestingly enough, that I'll mention in a few minutes here. Um, but yeah, it was uh, written by Hayden Blackman, also known for such other works as the Force Unleashed video game series. Um, and it was a project leader on Star Wars Galaxies, uh, the MMO. Which uh, must have been a very large job. I was digging into some of the lore that was produced out of the Star Wars Galaxies game. And there's like a massive sort of epoch of history that's, that's covered there. So I can imagine being a project lead. Yeah, was a uh, he had to be on the holocron database uh, continuity data, database constantly. Yeah, he uh, you definitely on this old program from nineteen ninety eight. 
you have to be well versed at the Star Wars universe to be a project lead on a Star Wars MMO. Like just the number of planets and side missions and character and name drops and everything. Never had the fortune of playing it myself, um, but I've heard good things. So I wonder if it's still around or if it's gone. Galaxies? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But they shut down the servers. No, they shut down the servers. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, Hayden Blackman, also known for authoring some of the essential guidebooks, which were the Wikipedia before... Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> the Wikipedia before uh, the internet, uh, if any of our listeners are And the are Star Wars before the podcast. Yes. Um, he also was one of the writers for the Bounty Hunter video game. Came out a while ago, I think mid-2000s, uh, which is the story is tied directly to this comic book as well. Uh, so it's got a cool crossover, which we'll delve into a little bit later here, story-wise. Um, Do you know which essential guides he did? I didn't write them down, but they're listed somewhere. Um, and I'm sure if you go through the essential guides, they always say who authored them, so it wouldn't be hard. I think it was two or three of them. I want to say weapons and technology might have been one of them. So <laughs> it's not like your light That's reading. Yeah. <laughs> The essential guide to cosmetics. <laughs> you can have an essential guide of anything in exactly, Star Wars. <laughs> exactly. It's like you have a Star Wars episode about it. <laughs> yes. Um, Hayden Blackman is also known for authoring other comic books such as... Did he do the Force Unleashed comic book? He did actually. Oh, he did really? the comic book. I think he even did the novelization and the video oh, game. Geez. But don't quote me on that. Uh, but he, it was his brainchild. He um, really knows that Galen Merrick. Yeah. Um, but anyways, he also authored the my personal favorite comic series within the sub-comic sub series of Star Wars. You have Republic, you have the Clone Wars era of the Republic comic book series, uh, but particularly he wrote the Kamino and Jabim campaigns, which were some of the grittiest frontline soldier stories. Um, so when I was a kid and I first got into the Star Wars comics, like I mentioned, I picked up Django Fett Open Seasons and the Republic comic book that took place on Jabim. No, I had no idea at the time that he wrote both of these. It's a recent discovery. And now discovering that he wrote both, those were the comics that got me into Star Wars comics altogether. So he's in vampire terms, he was your sire. Yeah. He absolutely. sired you into Star Wars. His blood flows in my veins. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, so he and he writes like even, again, just talking about the Django Fett open seasons, it's a very gritty for Star Wars, a very gritty soldier story. Um, and like that's that looks like what he's good at, uh, introducing some of the coolest clone troopers like uh, Alpha 17, like the original ARC troopers. And then some of the most brutal fighting on Jebim, like rain, mud, like boots on the ground stories. That yeah, are there's just definitely a lot of rain and mud <laughs> on in, in, in open seasons yeah. as, as well. It's uh We'll it's talk, a theme we'll in his talk. writing, yeah. Mud. Um, but yeah, so it's very gritty, very soldier story, very much like Django Fett Open Seasons, if that's what you're looking for. And I just really want to say, like, he's very much like the Dave Filoni before Dave Filoni. He, he had a lot of power and a lot of influence in Star Wars between a certain era, and you can attribute a lot of the, the work to him. Yeah. Uh, any other notable creators for you in there? Digital Chameleon did the the lettering, which is a name that I like. It was some some sort of collective, I guess. Yeah, multiple people. Uh, another thing, there's a special thanks to Lucy Wilson at the top, who is a name that she's also I think maybe kind of a Filoni 
type character in that she's just like worked on so many different Star Wars projects across a huge span of time that she's like, I think they just like get her to consult on, on random projects all the time. So I, I assume that's probably yeah. she did she helped out with some story details or fact checking random and, lore yeah. stuff she invented uh shizor's name one of the all-time great uh controversial <laughs> pronunciations you mean xizor <laughs> xizor <laughs> shizor so that i don't know if she like ever wrote any material like as a lead author but she was definitely definitely has a hand like in a lot of yeah. Kind of I wonder if these people like just live and breathe Star Wars, <laughs> or if they just kind of are the holders of the reference material and they're just like, oh, okay, I'll, yeah, I think I'll. it's just they, <laughs> they just got that job out of fresh out of university or something, and turns out that yeah. the Star Wars industrial complex never stops turning and chewing people up and spitting them out. Now they got job forever, being a <laughs> keeper of the holocron. Um, so the comic book itself, uh, let's start off with just like a general feeling before we get into any crazy details. Sam, what did you feel about it? Uh, I thought it was, it was a little flat. Really? <laughs> to be honest, I was, it just kind of felt like a, a tacked on sort of revenge plot or something, you know? Yeah, and then and then also there's that weird poisoning thing with uh, Count Dooku. Yeah, that felt strange as well. It's just like, why bother poison him if he's, as from a story perspective, Django poisons Count Dooku, and then he's like, a few scenes later, actually, I just neutralized the poison. <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> I think okay, so I think that was a storytelling element. Well, we, we can get to that in a bit. Um, but I think it was that scene in particular was used to show how dangerous Django was. Like he always has a plan for everything. He enters meetings, always trying to start out with the upper hand. And then Dooku being Dooku obviously has a lot of powers and abilities that you can't really account for or plan for. But I think it was just to show Django always has something up his sleeve. That's so I think true. it was like a character moment more so than like there was a, a purpose for that. Um. So yeah, with that, let's uh, dive into it. I, I mean, my opinions on it. I love it. I love. I love the grittiness of it. I mean, it's not a perfect work. Uh, the art style, I like it. It's a little bit cartoony, a little bit realistic. It's very violent for a Star Wars movie. There's not a lot of like blaster, like vague blasters. Like you see some, a little bit of gore. For yeah, sure. it's fairly rugged. That guy yeah. gets like cut in half <laughs> yeah yeah one guy gets cut in half another guy gets eaten alive <laughs> if you, there's lots of blasters going through bodies yeah it doesn't just like leave a black char mark like it you see yeah um i i was looking through it with a fine tooth comb one day and you can even see some guys with like their guts <laughs> really? out. yeah you not, have to you have to really look for that. it uh but it's hidden in the background which is not stuff you typically think about when you think star wars no. Uh, so one thing I noticed right off the bat is that count. This is ten years before the Clone Wars. Yeah. So this whole thing, I guess we should preface, is the origin story of Jango Fett. Um, we get introduced to Jango Fett in Episode Two of the movies, and then this is kind of like his backstory: what got him there, why did they contract him to be the clone, uh, to make the clone troopers out of. Um, so yeah, just detailing his his history and life uh, from childhood, even. Right. Yeah. So so Count Dooku. It's 10 years earlier, so his hair isn't gray yet. His hair is brown. And sort of what I thought, it might 
they might be trying to do like sort of black hair paling into the white hair. But since I'm a bit of a horror fan, I've seen a lot of Christopher Lee's uh, movies as a younger and he had very black hair from from what I, what I remember. That's an interesting creative choice to make (laughs) his his hair brown, which I thought was just kind of funny. I mean, it's like, (laughs) doesn't really matter at all, but yeah, a little detail. It's a little detail. Yes. We do get a, a glimpse of the young, a younger Count Dooku later on in the story. Um, essentially, we are getting glimpses of Jango Fett's past through the eyes of other characters up until you meet Jango Fett right. at the very end. Um, and it's it, the story actually revolves around Count Dooku interrogating people and gathering pieces of information because he is looking for someone to enact uh, the Great Sith Master Plan, which is to produce this clone army. And right. So he's looking for the prime candidate. He wants yeah. someone who's dangerous, someone who you know, would be the perfect template to... The Ubermensch. Yeah, to base an entire army off of, right? So it's through this process of learning about Django Fett's life and history that he comes to the decision that he's going to contract Django Fett. Um, oh, by the way, spoilers, if you haven't read it. I strongly <laughs> encourage you. It's not a long read. It's only a four-issue run. So it's not even like a really in-depth book. No, it's, you can definitely read it. In an evening. In an evening. Yeah. On a long commute or something. Yeah. Uh, we learn a lot. This is one of the first comics, too, that delves into the history of Mandalorians and uh, and Boba Fett in, by virtue of Jango Fett since the Clone Wars. So there's been a lot of retconning around Boba Fett prior to Episode 2 because no one knew that he would eventually become the son of Jango Fett or the clone son of Jango Fett. Um, but they did an interesting thing. Um, so the biggest retcon... Uh, Boba Fett in an old book. I can't remember what it was called. Um, oh, yeah. The, the novella, novella, The Last One Standing, The Tale of Boba Fett. Um, there was a writer before episode two that that just came up with a backstory for, for Boba Fett because no one else had done it. You have this faceless hero. Let's give him a backstory. Um, so his name in the story was Jaster Muriel. And... Uh, and he also introduced the planet of Concord Dawn as being like his origin. He was like a Mandalorian protector, almost like a, uh, if you think of like a, a U.S. Marshal during the cowboy era, right? Or like a uh, uh, a lawman, right? Yeah. In some of like the earlier Star Wars comics, I think there were some portrayals of Mandalorians that were very much more in that vein of sort of not necessarily being mercenaries or anything, but yeah. they're sort of honorable peacekeeping type. Yeah, the whole Mandalorian protectors. Um, yeah. So in a, in a retconning move, they reintroduced Jaster Muriel as actually being Jango Fett's adoptive father and Planet Concord Dawn being Jango Fett's home planet. So in a way, like Boba Fett could hold those identities as like, you know, pretend identities that he would use in theory, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Boba Fett being a dangerous bounty hunter probably has like a whole bunch of different names he goes by or can hide under things like that um interestingly enough as well jaster muriel has recently jumped from legends into canon because of the mandalorian tv show oh, really? um, yeah there's a very hidden message written in mandoa so you have to like <laughs> freeze frame and translate and it talks about how jaster muriel is Django fett's adoptive father so they canonize the character of Jaster, which is very interesting. Um, so yeah, so when we jump into the story, we're actually mid-combat between 
the true Mandalorians, if you listen back to our Mandalorian episode, that you have the faction of true Mandalorians led by Jaster Mariel, who has written the Super Commando Codex, where he wants to use the Mandalorians as honorable mercenaries. They, they want to reinvigorate their code of honor and ethics instead of just being raiders and looters and pillagers and murderers. Uh, but that creates a divide with the Death Watch, who want to continue to be pillagers, raiders, looters, and murderers, and don't hold the same standards as as uh, Jaster. So we meet a young Jango Fett. He's just a child. His family just has a farm on Concord Dawn, which is a Mandalorian-owned moon. So he is... The Fett clan goes back like... Yeah, thousands his, of years you see them in the old republic his dad is a mandalorian yeah or his family his family are mandalorian culturally but, mandalorian but they're farmers and uh and what happens is a death watch shows up and essentially murders his whole family and so we see the first instance of the mandalorian culture of adopting uh orphans war orphans and so jango fett is found by jaster mariel and is adopted by him. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Exactly. So, <laughs> again, in you know, it's not an accident that we're doing this episode now, um, but it's reflected obviously in the uh, Mandalorian TV show. There's a, there's a scene that's almost like a shot for shot recreation of yeah, this. Yeah, uh, literally, even book. like a young, you know, Din Djarin and a young Jango Fett, like over the shoulder, being held by a Mandalorian. I think they might have even had the same kind of bangs. Yeah, similar, yeah. <laughs> uh, the crazy thing is, so, and this is, we'll get into more of a Disney comparison later, but the Death Watch under Disney have evolved to become much more noble warriors, which in Django Fett Open Seasons are the bad guys. They are ruthless murderers and like ultra violent and stuff. And then, you know, you have the true Mandalorians as our noble heroes that are fighting them. Uh, even their helmets are slightly different. So the true Mandalorians have the traditional Boba Fett style helmet and the Death Watch typically have a very unique T-visored helmet with little kind of bat wings on them. Or I don't know how you describe those little... Bat wings is good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think they're supposed to be bat wings, <laughs> but yeah. So they have a unique armor style. They have a unique thing. And even their leader is named Vizsla from Clan Vizsla, which we see reemerge in the Clone Wars and we see even after that. Um, yeah, so the Vizsla clan has always been the bad guys, quote, quote unquote. If you can't see me, I'm doing air quote. But uh, so these characters have evolved under the Disney banner to become a little bit more noble. You have Bo-Katan who is, her clan is allied to House Vizsla. And even though House Vizsla still is, are the bad guys even in the Disney canon, like Bo-Katan all the way up into the Mandalorians becomes like this noble, this reemergence of nobility, right? Which is interesting. So if you like to marry the two kind of legends and canon universes, it's an interesting evolution from the Death Watch being the bad guys, ruthless murderers to becoming noble warriors, similar to how the true Mandalorians were. Yeah, I mean, anything with death in the name, right? You <laughs> Probably gotta, not the good guys. You got to be evil. If you, death Watch. Yeah. Um, so anyways, we are introduced to the true Mandalorians generally as a faction and they're duking it out. You know, other civilians are constantly caught in the crossfire of these two warring clans. But isn't it kind of weird that they're the true Mandalorians, but they're like the reformers? Yeah. Aren't the Death Watch kind of the, more the, the true, true Mandalorians? Mandalorians? 
Don't ask me about the naming schemes, because then you also have the uh, new Mandalorians who are the pacifists, so it, it, it's a mess. It, <laughs> you just got to go with clan names and know that Jaster Mariel and the Fett and Jango Fett, adopted son of Jaster Mariel, are the good guys, and then Clan Vizsla and the Death Watch are the bad guys. And nobody cares about the peace-loving Mandalorians. <laughs> they, they don't factor into this. this. This was written before they even existed. So, <laughs> so where does the, do the Mandalorian civil wars fit into this? So th- that's why they're called the civil wars and clan wars. Um, even I can't really pinpoint, because of the, a lot of this stuff falls into that awkward transitionary period, especially for things like the Clone Wars and Rebels, after Disney took over the IP. So they make references back and forth and even like it being reconfirmed in the Mandalorian. Um, it's hard to pinpoint an exact time because they have clan wars and civil wars, right? So I, it's kind of a jumble. And I, I personally don't know where to pinpoint it. I'll have to do some research and like find an actual accurate timeline. But all this takes place prior to even episode one. Uh, if you're looking just at the broad timeline and stuff we do know. Yeah. Um, this is all prior to Star Wars Episode One, And uh, yeah, like I said, Django's a, a child. Uh, but we do quickly fast forward to him now within uh, Jaster's clan of mercenaries. And they're taking contracts around the universe. He's like a young adult or late teenager. And he's being c- given command of a mission uh, on a planet that they're storming. And this is where you get into some it's real first command. Yeah, some real trench warfare type. I got such saving private Ryan vibes from it. Like <laughs> yeah, landing shuttles, too. fighting uh, this native alien race that look a lot like gorillas. <laughs> and uh, they're like uh, paratrooping in essentially on their jetpacks, yeah. which is fun. Yeah, and uh, and you get a real like pitched battle yeah. going on, right? Turns out the whole thing is an ambush set up by Death Watch. Uh, and what we have is another character introduced, Montross, who is another high-ranking Mandalorian. And uh, he's kind of a power-hungry guy, and he's kind of in the shadow of Jaster Meryl, who's leading these Mandalorians. And because of Montross, Jaster Meryl gets killed. And uh, and everyone kind of knows that. And Django, like, he does it very publicly, in a very public betrayal. Um, Montross pretty much falls off the story at this point. So um, we should mention that uh, his biceps are so <laughs> large that he can't, can't wear actually wear full Mandalorian standard armor. Standard Mandalorian issue <laughs> yes. armor. I love that look. He's got the huge guns yeah. and also huge guns. <laughs> yes. Uh, but he essentially, because of his betrayal, gets exiled and Jango Fett takes over the clans as, as Jaster's successor. Uh, interestingly enough, this is where the tie-in comes in with uh, Star Wars Bounty Hunter, the video game. Montross does reappear, and Jango Fett finally settles his score with him. Arm wrestling game. match? No, he would lose. Jango would lose in arm wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Anyone would lose with Montross. Uh, but they do duel, and obviously Jango Fett survives because we know how Jango Fett dies. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that's a cool tie-in there. So does Boba. <laughs> interestingly enough, yes. Um. But yeah, and so after this kind of ambush and Death Watch conflict, um, you see now Django taking over leadership of these mercenaries. They take on more contracts. They end up on the snow planet called Galadran, um, running a contract for a governor. 
And essentially what happens is the Mandalorians get betrayed due to a backdoor dealing the governor has with the Death Watch. So Death Watch go in, commit a bunch of like genocidal war crimes, which is, like you said, seems to be a tradition of like the old Mandalorians. If you think of the old Mandalorian yeah, wars, definitely genocide was in there. Time-honored Mandalorian tradition. Yeah, and then if you look at the history between the Republic and Mandalorians, like, you know, whenever you have Mandalorians acting out, the Republic is going to answer back in force. So this the Death Watch stage um, a massacre and then they blame the true Mandalorians for the massacre, which then leads to the Jedi having to intervene. Uh, and the Jedi show up being led by a young Count Dooku, and, which is very cool because it, it shows, not only are we telling the story of Jango Fett, but it also starts to show the cracks in Dooku's faith in the Jedi. And they have a very heavy-handed response. Essentially, they show up, lightsabers drawn, and demand that the Mandalorians surrender. And then it leads to this like big fight, uh, which is awesome, Mandalorians versus Jedi, time-honored tradition. <laughs> um, but uh, one, it shows how dangerous the Mandalorians are because they kill a lot of Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> Jango Fett himself kills, what, at least three Jedi by himself. Yeah, as we talked about, I think maybe in Bounty Hunters, uh, Boba Fett, <laughs> could get the better of Darth Vader in battle. So this is a sort of a thing throughout Star Wars is Mandalorians are like the only non force users basically who can who can take I think out, them and the Achani, yeah. Who can stand up to the Jedi and the Sith. So they're the only good guys in the Star Wars universe, <laughs> is my claim. It's, it's who we're rooting for. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um but yeah, Jango Fett himself kills a in close combat too with his bare hands kills a Jedi at, at least one. Um with his bare hands. Also with his bare hands. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not Montrose. That's uh but that's a thing when Count Dooku is investigating like um the great deeds of, of Django Fett. Uh he comes across one guy and uh he's like, How did he kill so many of your kind with his bare hands? <laughs> so he could he was uh, quite a kung fu fighter as yeah. well, or or perhaps Tarasque Sai. I don't know. Yeah, it would make sense if Mandalorians learn that, I guess. But they might even have their own fighting style. Definitely, when we do, when we do an episode on uh, martial arts of the Star Wars universe, we'll we'll take a look and to see what it'll it, just be a Twitch live stream of the PlayStation One game, <laughs> Masters of Tarasque Sai, <laughs> which is a very obscure Star Wars uh, title. title. But yeah. that's what we're gonna do. <laughs> I get to be, um, what's her name? The lady with the robotic arm who got, she was Zendor's, you don't know. You don't know Zendor and the Despot Wars. No. Get out of here. It's not my era. <laughs> okay. Um, kind of coming back to Galadran though. Um, you start to see the cracks of Count Dooku's faith in the Jedi, which I think is like superb because Count Dooku has deserves his own episode. But uh, he goes from like being very optimistic and noble and I guess optimistic and naive uh, in his beliefs in the Jedi Order and like Qui-Gon, he kind of like f starts to falter and he's like a dark version of what Qui-Gon Jinn could have been. Not to get too derailed on Count Dooku, but uh, it's interesting to see his fall. I, I also kind of get shades of uh, the Dos Equis man. 
with them. <laughs> he is the most interesting man in the galaxy. The most interesting man in the galaxy with his, his bushy brown beard yeah. and his cape and everything. Yes. <laughs> like, Even Christopher Lee would fit that category, actually. <laughs> Just the number of things he's done true. and been involved with, like former special forces operative in World War II, freaking playing you know, major villains and Bond. And, you know. Heavy metal singer. Yeah. Did you know that? I did know that. I've even seen some of his work on YouTube. Uh, and he was doing that up until like his old age. Yeah. <laughs> he got into metal when he was like an old man. Yeah. Which is funny. Not to mention Saruman and Lord of the Rings. Like he is, if there was the most interesting man in the world, it would probably be Christopher Lee. Um, but back to the story. Uh, so yeah, the, the Gallic Grand campaign kind of concludes our story with Count Dooku. Um, and then we kind of finish Jango Fett's story. So even though Jango Fett and the Mandal true Mandalorians kill a lot of Jedi, they're ultimately beaten. And Jango Fett is the last survivor of the true Mandalorians left. Um, and then he gets taken captive, put into slavery. And then the very end is like his revenge plot to get back at the Death Watch for setting setting up his tribe and getting them massacred. It's interesting that they managed to, I think in the comic, keep him captive for like years. Yeah, and he says years on a slave ship. Kind of kind of amazing that it, it took him that, that long, long, to, to be honest. <laughs> he killed possibly Jedi, it seems like, with his bare, bare hands. hands. Yes. That's, uh... Maybe they just encased them in like blocks of concrete. <laughs> But then you're just giving him weapons. No, because you see him the moment no, when he, yeah, he he's puts his, his shackles up to get conveniently blasted apart by, <laughs> a by blaster, the pirates. A stray blaster. Yeah. Um, so just through a chance of a pirate raid, he does fight his way out and become free and then exacts his revenge on the governor of Galadran, who's, who was a participant in the extermination of the true Mandalorians and steals back a full suit of Mandalorian armor that he had once worn, now being polished to a perfect sheen with a little blue highlight. Which, no more mud. Which we know him for in the movies. Uh, that being said, let's touch quickly on the Mandalorian armor that it, uh, the true Mandalorians wear. Very cool tactical greens and yellows, very much reminiscent of Boba Fett's armor yeah. many years later. And they were sort of soiled in a very similar, similar way. Dented, what, like, chipped. Dented. Yeah. And chipped. you have like an army. Picture an army of Boba Fett's. Like that, I think that image itself is like the thing that drew me to the comic book. It's yeah. like I was always a Boba Fett fan and just seeing a comic book full of Boba Fetts was enough to get me hooked. Uh, but yeah, so you go from, the, and like as mercenaries, right, they're very tactical and stuff, to Django Fett's now, because the governor had, as a trophy, stolen that set of Mandalorian armor, polished it up, set it up, you know, as a, a display piece. Django acquires the armor, kills that governor and finds out where the Death Watch are uh, on, you know, on a ship headed to their next raid. So Fett single-handedly catches up with them, raids the ship, duels with their leader, Vizsla. Um, and I can't remember his first name because there's Tor Vizsla and then there's another Vizsla. And Count? Is it I, Count Vizsla? I don't is think that, so. Is that a Star Wars character? No. Um... But one of them, I think... Count Dooku's the only count in the galaxy. No, there is a countess. Oh, no, she's a duchess, Satine, of Mandalore. <laughs> there are a lot of royal titles getting kicked around. Um, but anyways, he has his knockdown drag-out fight with Vizsla, kills him, and uh, 
doesn't kill him actually, wounds him. And this duel ends up from orbit. They crash in an escape pod, continuing their fight onto a planet that has dire cats, which have a history in the Star Wars universe. Well, the history started here, I, be- <laughs> I believe, which, which is interesting. But like the dire cats aren't really that impressive or anything. They they just look like saber toothed tigers with, with like spines, with, yeah. with a couple of spine weird bones protruding from their shoulders and stuff. But uh, they were they were used in like several other titles, including Star Wars Galaxies. So now that you uh, made the connection connection between yeah. Hayden Blackman, maybe that was a Hayden Blackman uh, Easter egg. That's what he did. As a project lead. He was strictly the dire cat guy. <laughs> he made sure. But yeah, dire cats are like never used really. It doesn't look like in any major ways, but they're just, they just sort of appear in a bunch of random Star Wars it's titles yeah. after this, this came out, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, Django kills his nemesis Vizsla and then, well, wounds him and then allows the dire cats to finish the job. And, uh, thus concluding and enacting his revenge. Um, you mentioned the revenge plot uh, for Django. Yeah. Interestingly enough, is a hallmark of Spaghetti Westerns, the classic revenge story. It's it's uh, a pretty common story thread, which Django draws his name. And also, isn't Django Unchained a also revenge a revenge story? Revenge yes, story. all from the same thread from a, I believe it was a 1966 movie, Django. Um, I don't know what the title of the movie was, but the that title That was like character. a Johnny Depp movie. No, no, it's old, older than Depp. Uh, but it was a classic spaghetti western where the main character's name was Django and, you know, Star Wars is always drawing from spaghetti westerns and samurai films and World War II films, right? So... This very kind of had everything through. in it, yeah. A little bit. The Mandalorians were kind of like paratroopers, and yeah, yeah. Like I said, you have that whole D-Day kind of thing when they land on that planet, and then you have that revenge story, and like Jango Fett walks off into the sunset after killing his nemesis. Um, and then we have the final conclusion of our story, which is actually a meetup. So you have this buildup as Dooku is unraveling the life and times of Jango Fett. Until finally he sets up a meeting with the man himself. So they matched on Tinder. <laughs> Someone wants to speak with you. On space. <laughs> space Tinder. Assassin Tinder. <laughs> yes. And uh, and so it concludes with the final deal uh, that Dooku offers. This is when Dooku gets poisoned, when Jango Fett shows up. Um, again, I think it was a character moment just to show that Jango has a plan for everything in every meeting. He's meeting this very dangerous person, so it's good to have an ace up your sleeve in case you need it, especially Jango's distaste for force users is evident in his um, the Battle of Galadran, right? He does not, he hates Jedi because of what they did to his people, uh, killing them to a man, leaving Jango as the last survivor. Um, and so the hook that Darth Tyrannus slash Count Dooku offers Jango Fett is that, so he pitches him this clone army template idea and the hook that actually gets him on board is that these troopers will contribute to the downfall of the Jedi. He doesn't specify how or why, but that's enough to get Jango Fett to agree to the deal uh, initially. And that and the condition of having an unaltered clone son. So those two factors are super important. One, 
it shows that the clone army has always been the intent, obviously with Order 66, that they were going to play a role in the downfall of the Jedi. And two, Jango Fett hates the Jedi so much that he's willing to agree to this to exact that revenge. So you have that interesting mirror of the Battle of Galadron where the Jedi slaughter the true Mandalorians, the clone troopers being like the spiritual successors of those Mandalorians because a lot of them are indoctrinated into Mandalorian culture, uh, then exact their revenge on the Jedi. So it's kind of a tit for tat, classic revenge story. <laughs> and then, and then yes, the agreement to Boba Fett, who he refers to explicitly as Jaster's legacy. So it ties back to the whole Mandalorians, you know, very strong on family and passing on traditions and things so that Django has a son to tra- to to teach all the lessons that he learned from Jaster and, and keep the Mandalorian ideals alive, which in Legends continuity, Boba Fett eventually becomes Mandalorian, obviously learning from his father, even the little bit that he did, like Mandalorians, you know, one of their cre- core tenets is to teach their children the ways of Mandalorians. So even as a boy, Boba Fett would have been very much familiar with the lessons that Jango would have taught him and then therefore perpetuates them back on Mandalore, becoming their leader once again. So it's kind of this like full circle thing of like Jaster's legacy carrying over past, you know, the movies and into the future. Do you know what Jango's ship was called? Slave one. Before that? No, I don't remember. Jaster's legacy. There you go. Was it Jango's ship or was it Boba's ship? Now I don't remember. Right. It was one a, of them it had, was a literally ship. had Jaster's legacy. They're the same person, yes. technically, so I'm not wrong. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> it's Boba still... Fett is Django Fett. There you go. Um, so this Bavo 6 compound, one of the other guys that Dooku was interviewing to uh, get info about Django. I think he was a former Mandalorian. Yeah, he was one of uh, Django Fett's I guess you're always a Mandalorian. Whatever. But he injected him with a toxin for torture or whatever called Bavo 6. And this first appeared in the New Hope Cinna manga. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting real obscure with our (laughs) references. (laughs) That is quite a pull. (laughs) So I think your Dave Filoni uh, thing. With Hayden Blackman. With Hayden Blackman. Might be right on. Fair comparison. He's, he's yeah. pulling stuff from the Star manga. Star Wars manga. <laughs> that's that's pretty great. Also, just I want to talk about some of the the martial arts used in this one. So on uh, in the battle with the Jedi, a Mandalorian named Miles gets, uh, as I like to call it, Darth Mauled. He got uh, cut in half. Yeah. So that was that was pretty gnarly. And then when, yeah, I think it's when when. Django and um, what's his name? Vizsla yeah. are, f- are fighting. He uh, throws, uses, uses that classic Western uh, sand trope, in the eyes, sand in the eye, except he throws snow, snow in, his in his face. And I was like, yeah. that is, that is a strange choice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, don't know if it had the same I effect. don't know if sand <laughs> would work either, <laughs> to be honest. And I am pretty sure snow definitely <laughs> it won't work. work. That's not going to... Pocket sand. <laughs> just melts before it gets to him. Yeah. So why didn't Django, if he wanted Boba Fett to be um, Jaster's legacy, why didn't he clone Jaster? Why did he clone himself? Because Django or Jaster was long dead. Like, who knows how... Like, where would you dig up his corpse? 
you wouldn't you wouldn't just think I want to I want to clone my <laughs> my best buddy. And, yeah, from like and, ten years and ago. Take an ear off. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there'd be much remains to. Well, they cloned Luke from his hand. <laughs> Remember that? That where'd, is a fair point. Where'd they get that? <laughs> fair point. Okay. Uh, yeah, you got anything else? No, I think we touched on the kind of Disney crossover. Um, obviously, a lot of this stuff has changed with a lot of the expansion with the Death Watch and all that stuff. And then, you know, moving forward, there's stuff that I'm trying to keep from you because I don't want to spoil. <laughs> Sam hasn't finished watching The Mandalorian yet and I don't want to spoil things now for him. That's a thing. Now I'm not, I'm not going to watch it on principle. <laughs> on principle. Just gonna, at you. Just deny me. Just for the irony of having a, a Star Wars podcast. Without ever, you can never seeing. watch any Star Wars content ever again. That's You're just right. going to be on the show. Just read anything from now. No, you're not even allowed that. (laughs) I'm just a talking head. Yeah. Um, But yeah. Oh, other quick, obvious Western um, comparison: Django, the dual wielding pistols, very much Uh, a classic bandito. Pew pew pew. Yeah. Which side rant drives me crazy. So, Django Fett popularized the dual wielding. He's like a bounty hunter, kind of very Western feeling. Then in Everybody the, knows you have to hold your gun <laughs> blaster sideways. sideways to get maximum effect. It's silly. <laughs> like, it's like, crazy. Like Tiger Ocelot. <laughs> uh, but no, so the dual wielding. So, okay, it makes sense for ARC troopers and clone captains to dual wield just because of their genetic lineage, right? They're going to use the same preferential weapon system that Django Fett, their, their uh, genetic donor, did right? Just I'm not sure if, if dual wielding pistols is. It's a, not an effective combat a, strategy. No, or a Mendelian genetic trait that can, <laughs> that can be. Oh, it's definitely down. in there. No, it's it's in the DNA. Um, I mean that's. I'm just saying you can excuse that as like kind of a a cool little like oh they came from Django so they all have this weapon preference whatever not the worst sin. What bothers me is a penchant for Mandalorians both in Filoni's Clone Wars and now moving forward into the Mandalorian TV show to dual-wield pistols. It is not an effective combat strategy. If you have competent soldiers, like they're better off wielding blaster rifles in pitched battle. And they're all rocking Christian, dual Christian. pistols. And it just drives me crazy. If you have just, a blaster rifle, how yes. many blasters do you have? One. <laughs> if, if you, you have, have two blaster pistols, how many blasters? How do many have? blasters do you have? Two. So it's which basic is math. <laughs> which no, is it's silly. It's a force multiplier. It drives me nuts. It was supposed to be a unique, you know, a unique thing for this like Western bounty hunter, and then they just like made it okay. Let's all let's let all Mandalorians do this thing, and it just it makes it less special when everyone does it, and it's also just not effective. So it's just, it's a double whammy that makes unless me... Unless you hold them sideways. Unless you hold them sideways, obviously. But they none of them do, right? So <laughs> yeah. it just... It drives, They're all doing it wrong. It drives me crazy, and it just, like, even in the Star Wars Legion miniatures, they constantly dual wielding. <laughs> On the TV show, constantly dual wielding. I was I'm actually just, thinking about the miniatures game in the battle. At, oh. Near, near the, in the opening battle, I was like... Yeah, the Mandalorians would be a great, great army, great faction, right? Yeah. yeah, definitely. Star Wars Legion. I just started to get into that, so <laughs> stay tuned. We'll have updates on that front. Most excellent. Yeah, but uh, short of that, one of my favorite, favorite comic books. Pick it up if you have a chance. It's a quick and easy read. Doesn't yeah, take much fun. effort on your part. See some people get gutted, <laughs> eaten by dire cats. Yeah. See the most interesting man in the galaxy <laughs> doing his interesting things. 
there's a cool there's a couple of cool creatures in there for you if you're you're into the creature feature yeah and uh yeah may the forks be with you